Hey, everybody. Uh, if you're brand new, let me catch you up, okay? Uh, Easter is on the way. If you don't know what Easter is, it's the celebration of Jesus coming back to life, which is awesome. Um, we don't see that every day. Yeah? Some of you apparently do. I, it's, um, so we as a church obviously celebrate Easter. It's, it's actually, if you think about it, Easter, and I know this is going to make some of you really sad, uh, is actually a bigger deal than Christmas. I know Christmas is full of great music and all that kind of stuff, but Easter is a big deal, right? So we celebrate it big time. If, if you're brand new too and you're like, okay, I'm going to come to Easter, it's, it's not today, it's the middle of April. And so reserve your seat. All you do is just go online and you can do that. If you're like, I still don't know how to do that, then you can talk with someone at Next Steps afterwards. But we are prepping for Easter. What that means is, let's not show up on Easter going, I'm here to do my religious duty. I'm here to fulfill what I'm obligated to do. I don't think any one of us says, yes, I can't wait to fulfill my religious obligation. Most of us want it deeper than that, and it is intended to be deeper than that. There's a relationship. So here's what we're doing. We're just prepping. Each sermon leading up to Easter is all about what Jesus drew attention to, the almost philosophy behind it, the reasons behind it, the why behind it. We started off with talking about the way of the vine, and we're going to go to a new place in the Bible. I'm just going to read it to you. Here we go. You ready? Let's do this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time to eat. Mm. Now, I don't know what you think about food. I don't know what mental pictures come to you. I don't know why when I just said that, I thought donuts. I don't know why. They have nothing to do with supper. I'm just being full disclosure for you. You have seen this, even if you're new to church. You've seen a depiction of this moment that I just read to you. Where where Jesus is is delegating some responsibilities for a, a meal. Now let me show you a different version of what you might be used to. I, we're typically used to the table where they're all like beautifully lined up where they can't really see each other. You, you know what I'm talking about? The, it's, it's called the upper room. If you ever traveled to Israel, by the way, uh, you can go to what we believe to be the actual upper room to where this would have happened. Now, uh, people have gotten a hold of it and it's far more ornate. It's what we do, don't we? We just make things like super like idol-like and that's what's happened and it's Uh, But you can go to this room. And so Jesus does this, and you need to know this, because this is going to lead us for you and I to actually leave this moment going, I know how Jesus wants me to follow him. But he assembles his, uh, his students, his disciples, into what's called the upper room. You probably have heard that term before. If not, now just know that's a normal term, the upper room. It's just so you know, it's above another room. And they were going to go there, and, and like I'm saying, he delegates uh, his crew to, to well, get the room reservation and prepare the food, and eventually they're all going to assemble and, and have a meal together, have supper together, okay? So I just want you to get the mental picture. This is a big deal, because what happens in the upper room, what happens in the upper room, I have a hard time telling you about it without getting emotional. 
That's this. What happens in the upper room is such a beautiful roadmap to how to live your life. But you've got to be willing to slowly go through this. So the writer of this particular book, John, he writes in such a way that he wants you to know who's there in the room. If you ever talk about getting together with friends or family, you typically might tell the story later on. Yeah, so-and-so was there, right? If you didn't like the person, you definitely brought up, and I wish that person never came back again. You, just, you remember the names of the people. So, so let's do this. Watch, watch how the writer does this. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Interesting way to lead into supper time, right? Most of us would be like, it's supper. Oh, what did you have? Well, we had barbecue ribs. It's wonderful. They would not have had barbecue ribs in this moment. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God and would return to God. So if you'll give me some time, I want to walk you through who was at supper, because it's a big deal. So it's an obvious one. He just mentioned it. Judas. My guess is you don't know a lot of people by the name of Judas. Right now, some of you are thinking, like, do I? You probably don't. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just, most of us don't know someone by the name of Judas. And if you're like, I wonder why. I mean, it's an easy name to spell. So, I mean, it, it, this is not complicated. Like, why don't we pick this one? And, and whether you've been to church or not, I'm just telling you, most of us are super familiar with, oh, I'll tell you why we don't name anybody Judas. Right? Because Judas is the guy who just, I read to you that he betrays Jesus. Like, he's a betrayer. Like, he, he was willing to work a deal where he was getting paid in order to make sure that, that he could help deliver Jesus to becoming arrested illegally so that he would eventually get killed. And Judas, one of the people at supper time, was the one instrumental in getting Jesus put onto the cross. That's why you and I are going, yeah, I don't know people who use the name Judas favorably. What I want you to remember is when I lead you through this scripture I'm reading to you, who is at the table is a big deal. And Judas is at the table. So is Peter. Now Peter, uh, if you don't, nah, you may, Peter, I mean, there's churches named after Peter. You're like, oh, Peter must be a good guy. At times. I mean, he had his moments. And if you don't know what happens, I'll just tell you, you can read it for yourself. But, but Peter's like a pretty zealous guy, pretty like, man, I'm all for you, Jesus. Like, ride or die, right? Like, there's, there's I am with you forever. And, and Jesus corrects him in this moment, like, mm, actually, hold that for a moment. You're going to deny that you even know me three times. And in fact, you're going to do so pretty soon from this moment. And when you say deny, just sometimes, sometimes in church we're like, well, I bet it was just like, yeah, I'm not sure who you're talking about. No, it was blatant denials of knowing who he was, refusing to say, I follow him. In fact, if you don't know your geography, you probably don't in the sense of Israel. It is very likely, based on where we know Jesus was imprisoned, that he would have overheard Peter 
denying he even knew who Jesus was. When you have a friend offend you, <laughs> you know what this feels like. All I want you to know is we're at a time where supper's important and you got Judas at the table and you got Peter at the table. Some of you are like, I'm out. I mean, I'm, I'm done with this one, right? Well, there's more. Uh, Thomas. And some of you, don't pick on Thomas. What's wrong with Thomas? I like Thomas. My dad's name is Tom. You know, come on. Well, Thomas, not a bad guy, okay? But what we learn about Thomas is he likely felt like several other people, but he said it. So Jesus comes back to life, encounters some of the disciples, and like, what's up, fellas? And they're like, what? This is amazing. But not all of the disciples were there. And so the other disciples go to tell some of the other disciples, guess what happened? I know this is not your version of the Bible, so I'll read it to you. Uh, uh, John 20, 25, they told him, they're speaking this to Thomas, who was at the table that I'm talking to you about. We have seen the Lord. Like, legit, we saw him. He's alive. But he replied, I won't believe it. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into him, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Do you sense a little bit of skepticism there? Mm-hmm. A little bit, little bit of doubt, a little bit of uncertainty. See, before I can walk you through what happens at supper time, you gotta know what was at supper. Betrayal was sitting at supper. Rejections were sitting there at the table and skepticism was sitting at the table. See, sometimes I think we make it too pretty, don't we? We make the upper room going, that's so awesome. I want to sit with Jesus. I'm not confident everyone at the table felt that way. They were far from perfect. Can we admit that? Yeah, we're far from perfect. See, this should carry a little bit of weight in your soul going, whoa, I thought they were the 12 disciples. Like, like they were like the elite. They were like, we all know about Judas, but yeah, we don't care about him anymore. But, but the other ones, yeah, we're cool with this. But you got to know at the table was a lot of emotion. Just for a minute, for a second, would you be willing, just for a second, to remember the emotions that you have felt when you've been around someone who has done any one of those things to you? Who has rejected you? Or maybe even betrayed you? Oh, come on, I see some of you. In Target sometimes Sunday afternoon and you weren't at church, you're like, do not go down that aisle. <laughs> Pastor's down that aisle, don't go down that aisle. But what about the, the real times, right? Where you, where you see your ex? Most of us are like, hey, good, cool, it's my ex, let's go talk. <laughs> or, or maybe you see someone that has hurt you and wounded you so badly. Can we, can we be honest enough in church to say that when we see those people, whoever those people are, that it stirs at least something up in you that does not feel good, typically? Jesus had them at supper. And by what is said at supper, we know that Jesus wasn't oblivious to it either. With that said, now that you know who was really at supper, 
Maybe you're curious at what Jesus did with them at supper. I'm going to have a hard time reading this. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. I wish I could tell you, I'm a, I'm a reverend. Don't call me that, but I'm one. I don't walk into every situation ready to do that. I walk into some situations just to be defensive sometimes. I know, you're shocked. Sometimes I walk in with my own agenda. Sometimes I walk in with a, I know I'm right. Sometimes I walk in with a, I want it my way. But when you know who's at the table and Jesus' response is like, oh, we're missing something here. Now, now he, he had delegated, like the room reservation, right? He had delegated, like, the food prep. There's a missing link, though, like the foot washing. That might be weird to you. I mean, like, if you've never washed anyone's feet, which most of us are like, and I do not intend to ever do such a thing. <laughs> By the way, some of you, if you're uneasy right now, is he, are we all going to do a foot washing? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to, we're not, there's no surprises uh, today, but. It was cultural norm to walk into someone's home, and, and it, not, not everyone had a servant that would wash your feet, but that was one of the options that would potentially happen. You, you would show up, and, and there would be a servant there that literally, as you walked in, the servant would be there to, to have you slip off your sandals and would wash your feet. It was a, it was a sign of hospitality, a sign of where we're glad that you're here kind of a thing. And, and in that culture, the dirtiest part of your body was your feet. Dirt roads combined with sandals, stank nasty feet. That's how that works, right? That's how that works. So now not everyone had a servant or someone working to do that. So sometimes you would show up to a, to a, a friend's house or someone's house and, and there would be a, a basin and, and a towel and you would wash your own feet because you're like, the way they would sit, they didn't typically sit at the chairs like you and I do. They would, they would lounge usually on the floor around a table kind of a thing. And so your feet were often seen and definitely smelled. And so it was a way to engage people in one of the dirtiest areas of their life. But it was almost always done by a servant or by you. And that's why when Jesus wraps a towel and goes and washes his disciples' feet, he turned an entire social structure upside down. It disrupted the whole supper. Because this wasn't normal. This wasn't like a thing. Like they weren't used to like, oh good, Jesus does this for us. This is how this works, right? Like a lot of times we, we come on, we treat our bosses that way. Like, you're like, well, if you're a good boss, I mean, servant leadership, man. Like, and we begin to do that, right? Or a lot of times we go to people like the best leaders, like care about their employees or whatever, or, and you're like, help me, right? But, but in, this, in this culture, what Jesus was doing was like, what in the world? In fact, I wonder if some of them were going, oops, 
He delegated the whole thing to us and we forgot something. What would you have been thinking? I would have felt bad right off the bat because Jesus, Jesus noticed that no one had washed anybody's feet and he got up and I didn't. Jesus explains what's going on. He doesn't leave people like going, okay, this is just what we do. No, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? And they were, I, I, the faces were showing, we do not understand what you're doing right now. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. Notice he's not saying, I'm not Lord. He's not acknowledging, oh yeah, I don't really have any authority. That's all made up. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And Jesus just introduces us to what we call the way of the towel. To follow Jesus, I think sometimes nowadays, especially nowadays, we read stuff about Jesus or we want things to be true about Jesus and so we make up our own, for lack of better words, our own religion or relationship with Jesus. And so we begin to say, well, this is who God is to me or this is who Jesus is to me. We don't want to be the kind of church that's just kind of making up a construction of, of Jesus, of our Lord and Savior that's not true. And one of them, you got to know, is the way of the towel that he introduces us to that is so powerful, I think, if the church would get this. And when I say the church, I'm including, if, if I would wake up every single morning going, I'm a part of the way of the towel. So that's how they characterized Christianity, not Christianity. They called it the way. And the way of the towel is so powerful. Let, I, I skirted over something I, I just want to bring to your attention. Luke chapter 22 says this in, in preparation of what's playing out. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can, we, we can eat together, right? Good leadership rule. You, you don't need to write this down. You probably already know it. Delegation, right? Some of you delegate too much, right? Like, oh, I know, I work. Right, no, delegation. A good leader doesn't do everything, right? right? Delegation. And we know the room reservation. I've already told you that. We, the food prep, already that. And apparently uh, someone dropped the ball on, on, on the foot washing. But there, Jesus didn't delegate the foot washing. I'm reading through this in, in my office. And I don't know if it was just a day that I was thinking about what Jesus did and didn't do, but it finally hit me that Jesus, if you look at, look at his life, Jesus wasn't like the kind of rabbi that's like, so you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you let me know when you're all done and, and, I, and you will carry me in. Jesus did delegate. He told him, prep this, do this, go get that. In fact, Jesus often would even tell his disciples, I want you to go, uh, like, say this to so-and-so, go get this. I mean, it was normal that Jesus was like, go do. And oftentimes, people didn't like what he was saying. But let it strike a chord in your soul that he delegated the food prep, the room reservation, but he did not say, hey, did someone forget about the foot washing? Your Lord and Savior is sitting over here without his feet washed. Your rabbi, come on. 
Do you notice that he didn't take a moment there to chastise everybody? Which he wasn't against that, and other times he did. I mean, he told one of his disciples, get behind me, Satan. Yet the foot washing. In fact, here, look, look at the responses. I, this, is, this is true character here. Uh, when, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, I told you Peter had a way of being zealous and being nice. Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Many of us are like, that's exactly what I would have said, right? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. You will until Jesus no to his face. See, sometimes you read this and you're like, "Uh, you're being a little belligerent, Peter. Chill out. Stay in your lane. Right? But let me help. Can I give you some color to this? In the world of rabbis, if you had had a rabbi, your goal would not be to have a rabbi so that you could just learn what the rabbi like new it wasn't just like educational system that you and I are used to where you go there's a teacher there's a professor give me your information I'm going to put it down I'm not going to even agree with most of it but I'm going to put it down I'm going to test on it and all that and I'm going to decide what I like and what I don't like that's our education system agreed some of you are like no I just took everything they said and ate it up okay great but most of us are sifting through it it's like give me the information you know and and then and then I'm going to do maybe something with it maybe I won't no 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 the way of the rabbi the rabbi would gather students so that the students would observe and watch what the rabbi did. Do you know why? So they would do what the rabbi did. The whole purpose of following a rabbi, the whole goal was I am going to do what this person does. I'm going to mimic, copy, literally everything I observe from them. So that should color the moment that Peter says, you will not wash my feet. Do you know why he's saying that? Because he didn't want to wash anyone else's feet. He knew what this was doing. He's not dumb. He's like, oh no, you can't do this. You can't wash my feet because that means, that means I don't get to elevate myself with authority over other people. That means that any environment I ever go into, I am the last. No, Jesus, no. That's why he's saying no. Because he knows he's the student and he's watching the rabbi say, this is how you do life. And Peter wasn't sure if he was going to. And I would contend that many Christians are at a crossway right now. of the way of the towel. We want the salvation, give me heaven. Give me heaven. But Jesus invited us into something that was now too, the way of the towel. While you process what your response to to Jesus, I wanna tell you a story. Just walk you through a modern day story. If you've ever read any of the books or listened to any talks from a man named Simon Sinek, uh, he, 
He's well-known in leadership world, and he's really a brilliant mind at looking at what's going on in culture and, and saying it in words that you and I, or at least me, finally goes, oh, now I understand. He's really good at it. Well, in one of his many trips, many travels, one of his trips was going to lead him to a 24-hour trip to Afghanistan in the midst of many battles. The plan was that they would fly him in and his crew, and he would do a speech, but also just observe, because that's what he is. He, he's learning from culture and learning stuff so he can pass it on to others. And so, 24-hour trip, quick trip to Afghanistan. Most of us are like, that's too long for any one of us, but it, 24-hour trip. And so, as he's flying in, and, and they're close to the base, all of a sudden, they come under rocket attack. That's when most of us are like, yeah, this is a bad idea. Turn, he says that just 100 yards away, they could see the explosions. And so obviously, it was very precarious. Eventually, they're able to land the plane, and they were all just ecstatic that they were safe and sound there on the base in Afghanistan. Um, he does his things throughout the 24 hours. One of them was getting on a C-17 and watching them drop out supplies out of the back, and that, which was, I mean, epic. And he talks about how, like, I'm seeing something that most people don't ever see. Awesome day. He observes. He talks. And it's, it's an amazing day. So then the 24 hours are up. He and his crew get loaded into the next flight out. It was a, like a, an emergency medical flight. Folks who were wounded were going to get taken out. And as they're strapped in five minutes before they're about to depart, someone comes up to them and says, you need to exit the plane now. There's not enough room. We have to put more stretchers on the plane. Now, of course, I mean, and even Simon Sinek says this. Uh, okay, yes, yes, yes. Everyone, let's, let's get out. We're, we'll wait for the next ride out of here. And so they go in and they wait and they're preparing for maybe a couple hour wait. Then someone comes and says, all right, the next flight out is going to be, in this case, it was Tuesday, which meant at that time, four days from now, you will be able to fly out. Well, then alarms begin going off in his head. He's like, four days. He begins to immediately begin to revisit the rocket attack that he experienced that he had somehow suppressed when his arrival happened. And, and he's like, oh, oh, four days is no. So he raises a stink about it. Now, some of you who are in the military, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. He began to raise a stink about being like put there for four more days. No way. In fact, let, let me just show you. I think this is just good quotes so you see these aren't my words. I became preoccupied with my happiness, my safety, and my comfort. <laughs> Isn't that what happens to all of us? When you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, you're like, um, one of those, happiness, safety, or comfort, I like that, I, you go after that. So he, no joke, began to make demands as though he was someone of any kind of authority, saying, no, you find a plane and you get me and my crew out. I don't know what they said. <clears throat> they may have said nothing. But as he writes about this and talks about this, he reveals what he was really thinking on the inside. I didn't care who had to go out of their way or twist themselves in a knot to get me what I wanted, my safety, my comfort, my happiness. I didn't care. I didn't care. I've been there before. Where in a moment I was at a store 
and I found that I had been wronged. There was a moment going, this is not right. And you, maybe you've had to, the thought, I no longer care about anything else going on. I deserve, and you're going through what you deserve, how they should be treating you, right? And that's exactly what he's, he's got this all stewing in his mind. He eventually learns what many of you, again, those of you in the military know, um, just you're going to need to stop talking uh, and no, the, the answer, you're, not, you're not going to be able to speed this four-day thing up. So eventually, so what they do is he and his crew go back to, their, to the housing area and, and go in the room. One goes to work out. The other one goes to actually try to still convince someone. Simon Sinek lays down in bed and is going to try to sleep. But he can't get to sleep. In his mind, he begins to revisit the rocket attack that they experienced, and he begins to have this fear just well up and well up. And then a combination with the fear is the mixture of, I don't deserve this. This is not, and, and by the way, he can't call his family saying, hey, um, I'm in Afghanistan for four more days. They didn't even know he was in Afghanistan as a safety precaution. So his family, who will be waiting for him at the airport, is going to see that he won't show up day one, day two, day three. He's thinking about that. He's visiting all of them in his mind and losing his mind. And then he says he eventually just gives up. He's like, I can't control this. I can't make life play out the way I want it to play out right now. So he gave up. And then the leader in him <laughs> turned the dial a little bit. He says, well, if I can't do anything, I need to do something. These four days, there's something. I, I can't sleep the whole four days. So he resolved here, I wanted to serve those who were serving others. If I can't, get out. I'm going to find other people who are serving other people, and I'm going to offer help. And so he literally says, he goes and tells them, um, I'll mop any floor. I'll sweep any floor. Do you need things moved from A to B? I'll pick them up, and I will carry them over there. I will organize whatever you want. If you have more groups that you want me to talk to, I'll do it for free. I just want to fill this time by serving those who are serving others. It's switched. You'll have to believe him or not, but he says the fear was gone. The disdain for his situation vaporized out. All of a sudden, he found purpose, and he found purpose in serving. His final quote in this, I think, is worth showing you. If there's one practice I have found that has profoundly changed my life, made me better, a better friend, a better brother, a better son, it's that I wake up in the morning and I try to see what I can do in my sphere with my skill set that will benefit something I care about and somebody I love. The way of the towel, whether he knows it or not. That every situation, whether you like how it's playing out or not, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of the way, it means that every day, whether someone knows it or whether you did it on purpose, you walk into every room with a towel. Um, but many of us are walking in, no, 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 no. You walk into a room knowing your rights. Knowing your privileges. Knowing your rank. Knowing your education. Knowing your authority. Let me remind you of what Jesus has taught us. Jesus knew that the Father 
had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Do you ever wonder, why John put that part in there? If you don't know, the, the, if you're not tracking, he, he's talking about Judas a little bit, but then he brings up, and, and by the way, Jesus, who has all of the authority in the entire universe. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. So what do we do with it? Good question. Jesus answered that. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Do you understand? If you can for a moment, forget all of the everywhere else's can you imagine just one church in the United States of America that functioned this way? Where everywhere we went, it was about, well, why did they do this? Or they should do that, or they need to do this, or they need to, what if, what if it used you and I going, I'm here with a towel, um, where do you need me? What if you and I showed up to work? Everyone would think we're nuts. I'm here at work. Oh, you wanna go real close up? What if you showed up to home? Some of you are like, I already do that every day. <laughs> so this is a refresher course of the way of the towel, which is basically hospitality. You know those feelings? Listen, listen. You know those feelings when you go to a restaurant and you ask them for the drink and what you're expecting? You know what you're expecting? That they bring you what you ordered? You're looking at me like, no, actually, it's whatever, whatever they choose. No, no, typically, if you order a certain drink or certain food, you expect it, and you expect it in a timely manner because you're expecting hospitality because you would say they're paid to do it. Well, what does that mean for a Christian who's signed up to follow the way of Jesus Christ? What do you think? I think God has placed the expectation on us by saying, do as I have done. Hospitality will require humility from you. I can't teach you how to be humble <laughs> uh, in one minute. But I can give you something a little bit more. The way of the towel is a life of showing people they matter. If you ever wanted to be humble, don't go like, well, I already am. Uh, be careful with that. But if you ever, like in your heart, have wanted to be a humble person, most of us say, yes, I would like to be a humble person. I would like to be that person. If you've ever wanted to be a humble person, and you're like, I'm not sure if I am, or I'm not sure what to do with it, start showing people that they matter. Just show them. But what if, no, no, show them. We will need God's help with this, the way of the towel. So I'm going to show you, this is not unique to me, this is what they call a litany of uh, humility. Some would call it a prayer of humility. I'm going to read it to you, and, and maybe you'll revisit this later. Maybe watch it or something to, to get it again, but I'm going to read it to you, but I think it's a good way for us to land here. Deliver me, Jesus, from the desire of being admired above others, from the desire of being praised more than you, from the desire of being accepted by people more than you, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being well-known, from the desire of being honored. Deliver me, Jesus, from the fear of being criticized, being ridiculed, being humiliated, 
being falsely accused, from the fear of being disbelieved, from the fear of being forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen. It'll be difficult to find a more politically incorrect prayer. But we are called to the way. So I invite you, whatever you're going to do with the rest of your life, you'll have different vocations likely, you'll be in different situations, and you'll find yourself in great moments and sad moments. Here, church, let's start bringing these. Let's start being a group of people that no matter where we're at, we're washing people's feet. And let's see what God does with it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I will confess to you that I do not love every single day what you did in that room. And God, I am convicted by it. Or would you stir something in our souls that, that, that sparks a little bit of a craving to say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like my rabbi. I want to do what he did. God, would you help us Wherever we're at, whatever we do, whatever, wherever we find ourselves, God, would you, would you at least prompt us to serve, to show people they matter as a way of loving you back. God, we love you and we are grateful and cannot thank you enough for serving us enough to die for us and come back to life for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.